Hello, friends. Now we're recording. It's your brother Hampton here from Hybrid Calisthenics. I'm talking with Daniel from Fitness FAQs. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm very well. It's a sunny day here in Melbourne, Australia. We're going to have a good chat. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, we're going to have a great chat. And just so everyone knows, we were supposed to start 30 minutes ago, but Daniel and I saw each other, said hi, and started chatting for 30 minutes. It's, oh, well, we better record before we go any further. So that's uh, always the way with online content creators who are in a similar space. We just talk and shop. So we're warmed up and we're good to go. Absolutely. And that similar space is fitness. Uh, You're based in Australia and you are a physiotherapist and fitness content creator. Is that correct? Yeah, man, I've been at it for a while. So I'm, I'm 29 years old at the moment and I've been involved in calisthenics since I was 17 and still love it so much this day. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of people have heard of you because I mean, way before I was even had an account on YouTube, your stuff would pop up. You've been doing this for clearly a while now. You've been doing this, what, I think 10 years, maybe? 10 years plus, yeah. And I think that's something people underappreciate about growth and just progression in general. It takes time and it takes so much longer than you initially imagine in pretty much everything. And that's not that's not a bad thing. It's just the reality. Right. So a lot of people know of you. How did you get started into this? Were you always into fitness? And what inspired you to start this channel And what kind of fitness were you in before you do what you currently do now? Yeah, sure. So when I was growing up, I wasn't overly athletic. I was, you know, just a regular school kid who was very into gaming, funny enough. So yeah, tons of um, PC gaming and stuff like that when I came back from school. So I never really had uh, family members or anything like that that was into sport or an active lifestyle. So It actually happened purely by chance. I believe it was one summer and I was just on YouTube in the early days and I was pretty bored and I stumbled across some uh, calisthenics videos from guys in America. Do you know who it was? Do you remember? Yeah, it was um, people like the Barbarians, um, Hannibal for King, you know, just dudes looking ripped and strong. Yeah, Yeah, the OGs, man. Yeah, that sparked me to just go out to one of my local parks and, and just try and do some calisthenic movements like pull-ups, push-ups and dips, struggling at the start, but over okay. time just drawing inspiration from what I was seeing online and also that intrinsic motivation of progressing at something myself that was something physical was very gratifying. So seeing my strength improve, starting to grow some some little biceps um, <laughs> and it's just been it's just been game on ever since well um did you have a program when you were starting this or did, was it just really the way of like you see it and you try to mimic it essentially that so there was a lot of uh monkey see monkey do happening <laughs> especially with the I early see. days i was fortunate that i was involved <clears throat> in some calisthenics forums so okay. in melbourne australia you can imagine back in 2009 it was calisthenics and bodyweight training wasn't something that was spoken about as popular as it is today. So fortunately, I grew up as a teen with access to the infant stages of, of the internet and you know message boards and stuff like that. So I gravitated towards that community and it definitely helped put me in good stead in respect with using good form, how to train correctly, how to follow a basic program that was put together by the community. And just continuing to improve my knowledge via YouTube and essentially 
anything I could find on the internet that fit the the category of fitness being calisthenics that I want to improve. Fair enough. So you started with calisthenics right away. Uh, how old were you when this started happening? So that was for maybe 16-ish years old. And I'll just preface that by saying this was my first like fitness-related activity. Prior to that, most of the people that have seen my previous interviews or heard my previous story know that I was involved in a bit of parkour. But other than okay. that, it was it was just some stuff at school with like table tennis and maybe Aussie rules football. So later in life, so definitely not like starting this as a four, five, six year old in gymnastics. I started right. as a as a late teenager to physical activity oh me too in some ways i was always a very active kid i wasn't involved in any varsity sports but i was a very active kid and i didn't really start having anything that resembled a routine until i was 17. at the time i worked full-time and i would see we watched hulu at the time and every time there was a commercial i would try to do 25 try to do as many push-ups as i could like with slow and steady form and at the time it was around 25 and there were four commercials, so I ended up doing 100 push-ups a day. Just watching TV, very relaxing. Which I highly recommend that style. <laughs> I like that, Hampton, because I can relate to that, essentially, gracing the groove style of training, because that's what I did. <clears throat> right. It wasn't like I started doing calisthenics and I stopped gaming. I mean, I'm a teenager. I'm still playing Counter-Strike for you know, <laughs> six, eight hours a day, but also wow. interspersing, that, interspersing that with hand balancing. So okay. take a break to go to the toilet. You do a handstand. You go past... You pull up bar on your way to the bathroom, smash out eight, 10, 12 pull-ups, get back to the session. That can be a fun way to train. If that's how you want to do it, that's a fun way to train. I can definitely vouch for that. So you were started this around 16-ish. At what point were you like, I've learned a lot. Now I kind of want to share what I've learned. Or did it even start that way? Did it start off as an answer or were you documenting your journey when you started that's on YouTube? A, that's an excellent question. So in the earlier days of online fitness, the information was very sparse and it was just quite difficult to come by. So me being self-taught essentially and having to really find different avenues of the internet to access tutorials, workouts and information right. as I was learning was also desperate to teach the stuff as well because I found that there was an avenue for this, this area because it was a missing piece because I wanted to learn this information and it was quite difficult to get the information. So when I looked on the internet, I'd see YouTube videos of people teaching how to do various skills and outline their workouts. And to be honest, I found that the tutorials had a lot of gaps missing in, okay. in the instruction. And I felt that I could deliver the information in a way that's more digestible and applicable for people that were watching. This was a, an awesome effect, Hampton, because I really pushed myself to learn the information so I could teach it, but then right. selfishly as well, by going through that process, it made me become better at the activity. So right. positive, positive feedback loop. So teaching it, getting better myself, and just it's just a whirlwind of just igniting the passion. There's certainly more video content now about fitness and calisthenics. Was there a whole lot back then? Because I mean, I remember seeing it as a consumer, but you were actually involved as a channel. Um, were there a lot of people back then or not that many? There was only a few creators and they were the main ones putting out content. There wasn't as, as many providing, especially for these niche related topics. Right on. And obviously you saw it and you're like, ah, you know, 
it could have been taught so much better. I want to teach it this way. Yeah, um, man, because what I found was two things happened. It was either people that were really good at the stuff already. So there was, you know, maybe girls that have been doing gymnastics since they were three, teaching how right. to do a handstand or get more flexible splits. <laughs> and the extent of the tutorial was you get in position and you hold it and you get you get the outcome <laughs> or you do it and you try. There was not that You just really, really of, try, man. You try. <laughs> you just try and you believe and, and everyone can do it, you know. But right. <laughs> for us mere mortals, when we are learning something, it's, it's better to break down a skill or an activity into its constituent parts and its progressions and take it from there. And the second thing Hampton was I found that people were presenting the information and taking so long to convey the message that they wanted to convey. So how long is so long oh, in the early days of YouTube, because the barrier to entry was so poor and the production quality was so bad. Sometimes you'd watch a 20 minute video and they haven't even, you could have <laughs> in, learned anything yet. Haven't learned anything yet. So <laughs> just, just taking it being like, okay, how can I convey as much information in the time required? No more, mm. no less. So, you build a million followers on this, which I mean, in the days of right now, where it's like TikTok, Instagram, where people can suddenly be grown very quickly, but you've been around for a while now. So you built it on this and you accumulated an audience through slow, not slow, but I mean, steady content. As you start interacting with this community, especially in terms of fitness, not necessarily content creation, was there a part of you that caused people to latch on? Where people like Daniel is so X. This is why I want to learn. Or did you just cover so many topics over 10 years? I think it's the sincerity of the way the content is delivered. So I noticed with a lot of fitness content, it's there's there's nothing wrong with this. It's just a different style of, of presenting, but it's it tends to be about the person speaking entirely about themselves as opposed to predominantly talking about the concepts that's going to help the person grow and improve. So I'd say that my content resonates with people because I make it about the information that is applicable to their training and mm -hmm. it's coming from a sincere place that is about the information as opposed to the person. And I like to believe as well that just my skin in the game, so to speak, with being able to practice what I preach while I'm delivering this information definitely helps. And um, another feather in the cap, if you will, is just having the professional qualifications as a physiotherapist to, to back up the information so people can, I guess, trust more that the information is evidence-based and it's not just hearsay from someone's personal perspective. Right, of course. But you didn't start off as a physiotherapist, I'm assuming. Um, I, so at the time you entered college, uh, was it because was the fitness channel doing okay? And you said, okay, this is clearly going to be a big part of my life and this is why I want to enter it. Was the thought process something like that? Yeah, along those lines, Hampton. But I think it's a challenge that most younger people face. You're 17, 18 years old and you've got to make the biggest life decision right. that you've ever made. And it just made logical sense that in my free time, I thoroughly enjoyed the health and fitness, I guess, domain. So that, that was where I went with it as well. And just for full transparency, I mean, I didn't have absolutely incredible grades in year 12 because just didn't have that work ethic and drive to to study so i mean i wouldn't have been able to go straight in to do say like some top engineering thing or, or something like no, that right. so i entered into a, a relatively accessible undergrad being exercise and sports science 
which right. didn't really require that high of a, in America, they call it GPA. In Australia, it's called your ATAR. And I, I use, use that as a stepping stone to essentially provide some more credentials whilst I was doing personal training. But of course, over time, like everything, the personal training market in and of itself is quite saturated. And just over time, I developed more of a passion for, for learning and was fortunate enough to get into physiotherapy as a master's and the rest is history. Right. Absolutely. Well, congratulations, because that, that's that's not an easy path. I mean, like you can be a, a personal trainer, you know, and that's it's an accomplishment. But like if you of make it the, the dedication to becoming a physical therapist, that's several years of school and late nights of studying and, and such. Yeah. So I'm sure you can attest to that. Of and course. It's really helped it's, your channel because of the information you've learned, right? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. If anything, Hampton, more so directly, just the ability to learn. I think that that is just a universal trait that if people take anything and want to apply it is just really go for trying to improve your ability to read, digest, learn, and also apply because most of the stuff that I learned in physiotherapy is rehab based, very, very low level stuff, mainly okay. like a lot of stuff to do with like hospital rehab with cardiorespiratory um, people recovering from neurological related injuries and stuff. So mm. long story short, these days I don't use a ton of said physio knowledge, but mm. what I gained from doing that five years at uni was just the ability to learn and then also to apply it to, to what I want to teach. That makes a lot of sense. And as you were doing this, as you were accumulating your knowledge and honestly, you know, I'll, I'll point out this year before we really get into the fitness part, which I want to as more than we already have. I think a big part of your selling point is your friendly and you're also just ripped, man. Like I've seen the photos of you with your shirt off. You're, I mean, it, you look good. You look good. And I think that definitely draws some people in. So you definitely have the uh, the knowledge, but it's clearly you've applied the knowledge. And I think that really draws some people to you or draws a lot of people to you. Do you have a thesis? Because this is, I don't know how many podcasts in we are. I, I've done several. And I've noticed some people, you talk to them and they are just, like firefighter, musician, something like that. And they don't really have a thesis on what's different. Whereas like if someone wants to compare to someone like the knees over toes guy, you know, I ask him a question and he can go on for 30 minutes, which I love about him. I love Ben. I talked with him yesterday because he's like, this is what I think is wrong with the fitness world. And this is what I want to change. And this is how I'm changing it and so on and so forth. As you were going through this, other than people not teaching it well, is there something that you notice that's big in the fitness industry and you think, this is what I want to do. This is my mission now um, to change this part of the fitness world. That's a great question. As people have seen that have followed my journey, I've dabbled in a lot of different modalities within the, the calisthenics space. So focusing on strength, focusing on balance, doing some hypertrophy as well. And also in the recent years, um, flexibility and mobility stuff. What I derive the most pleasure from, and I believe that my audience with fitness FAQs really enjoys is the building muscle by body weight aspect because you look on say the internet you've got reddit body weight fitness um, mm -hmm. just general youtube videos for calisthenics there tends to be this underlying thing that people are only training for function i'm doing body weight training because i just want to move well and be strong right but i don't think people are 100 percent honest i think if people were more genuine i think they'd be they want the muscle more people would be saying that, yeah. But I think yeah. there's this just this stigma in bodyweight fitness that you can't look good as well. So 
what I'm what I'm trying to to preach is that in a way you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have a good physique, you can move well, and you can also be strong. Of course, you're not going to be specialized in all of those domains at once. But I mm-hmm. mean, for the average person, it's you can get to a tremendous level. So I'd say that if if we bring it back to my my main passion. It's, it's that hypertrophy and building muscle by body weight aspect. Right. Well, and just because I know if anyone's listening to this and they follow me, I don't know where this will be posted. You know, I, there's kind of like a theme around me to where I don't really care about muscle as much. But I, I want to emphasize now, just in case anyone's, let's let it be known. There's nothing wrong with building muscle. And, and it's good. It's good. You know, like obviously, you know, there's like the high end where some people are really hurting themselves and taking all kinds yeah. of things to build muscle. Building muscle is good. I mean, I have absolutely nothing against it. But there is this thought, and I, I think this is a great topic for us to address, where people have this question still nowadays, can you build muscle with calisthenics? What's your take on that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, the body can't really discern the difference between mechanical tension produced from the muscles, whether it's from the resistance of your own body weight or through external means such as bands, machines, free weights, barbells, etc. Now, the thing is, unfortunately, on the internet and just society at large, we're, we're very big on black and white. You mm-hmm. can do it, you can't do it. And of course, I'm not going to stand here on my high horse saying that, you know, building muscle with calisthenics is superior. There's a lot of gaps within it concerning mm-hmm. certain things with isolation, different parts. It's definitely more efficient to use weights. But I mean, you can build a tremendous physique with just a pull-up bar, a dip bar, and probably some rings as well because you can overload all of the major movement patterns, be it vertical and horizontal, pulling and pushing, and you can definitely tweak your routine to, to start isolating some of those weak spots too. Now, just to clarify, because some people perked up when you said that, by tremendous physique, can you elaborate a little bit into details? I mean, high definition, good muscle mass. How about this? A number... How much muscle do you think you put on in terms of like weight with calisthenics alone? When I first started, I was approximately 74 kilos. And if people go back okay. to my channel, you, you can see me in the early days in my in my parents' house, in the in the living room, doing planches and stuff, just, just starting out very, very thin, um, haven't okay. built much built much muscle at that point. So 165 pounds for people who are curious, around that. Yeah, right? around ish, if, if your mouth is on point. And these right. days... Uh, floating around 83 and a half kilos plus or minus a kilo okay. give or take and you make it look good so you can certainly build this on but there like there's a reason for this belief and i think it's because a lot of people struggle with calisthenics and also because there's a lot of calisthenics athletes and unfortunately i probably don't help this that aren't super muscular so there's this thought that you can't build muscle with calisthenics and you know theoretically yes we understand yes the body doesn't understand doesn't care uh, where the resistance is coming from, as long as we're overloading, where do most people go wrong? Because some people have tried it for a while and they say, well, we can't seem to build muscle with just body weight. In your opinion, where do people go wrong there? It's definitely the nutrition plus training. So first of all, you've, you've got to accept the fact that to build muscle, especially as a, as a natural athlete, you're going to have to be on a, a calorie surplus. It doesn't mean you have to go and gain massive amounts of weight in a short amount of time, but mm-hmm. over the months, you should definitely be trending upwards in terms of your your overall body weight just to allow that anabolic environment for your body to actually, you know, synthesize the growth of tissue, et cetera. And 
probably the biggest takeaway for people, Hampton, is the, the training. Because in, in the world of bodyweight fitness, we fall into the trap of wanting to do everything at once. So we want to, we want to get the, <laughs> we want to get the skills. Yeah. We want to learn the, the balance moves like handstand, but then we also want to do some strength stuff. And we also want to maybe try and build a bit of muscle as well. When it comes to, if your, your only objective is to build muscle, you've got to be doing some high volume. And if you watch anyone in the calisthenics and straight workout space mm-hmm. that has a respectable physique. If they're only doing bodyweight exercises, the volume's through the roof. They're doing tons of sets, tons of repetitions, uh, particularly close to, to muscular failure because okay. that's, that's what has been shown in the research to be a good catalyst for muscle growth. So oh, most, yeah, most people are falling short because they're not doing enough work, especially close to muscle failure. And right. Yeah, that, that'd be the main thing, Hampton. Now, you say high volume. Uh, can you put a number on that? It's very difficult to give without knowing someone's individual situation because, as you know, everyone can handle and respond to different amounts of True. work. Um, it's something like the nutrition that you want to build up to over time. So you don't go from extreme example of not training to do, doing like six workouts a week and just, just yeah. a failure because – you can improve on less as a beginner to intermediate. You only right. want to start increasing the demand on your body when it is required to spark growth and you've actually been progressing. Fair enough. That makes absolute sense. And as we're choosing the progression in which to go to failure, because some people are going to take action on this on this advice. They say, well, Daniel said to go to failure. Would you say there's a certain rep range they should aim for? Because it's also possible to fail on one rep, right? <laughs> like if you choose a very hard exercise, you do it, you do it once, you're like, well, I went to failure. Um, and you're like, well, why am I not growing? So is there a certain rep range that you think they should aim for? I know it's hard because it's different for everyone. Of course. And just a caveat before I continue, I didn't say go to failure on everything. I said go right. no, near, near to failure because I, I think most people discount how close they actually are to failure. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, say on, just use the push up as an example, to go to genuine muscular failure. How many people are really doing that? It takes well, almost it takes no serious effort too. So that, that's why that near failure is a good prescription because you know that you're working at the edge of your limits. But to answer your question, that's a good point. You wouldn't want to be doing failure on anything less. Or sorry, in terms of rep ranges with a higher volume approach for calisthenics to build muscle, stick to above six repetitions. So going less than that, you start to be, you know, it's predominantly training your nervous system as opposed to putting a good blend of tension on the muscles relative to the reps that you're doing. So especially for compound stuff, your chin-ups and dips and pull-ups and stuff go above six reps. If you're doing more than, say, 30, it's probably a bit too much and it's bordering on the endurance side of things. So this is when, where if your goal is to build muscle with calisthenics, you would not be afraid to add load to your body so that you're being challenged within the six to top 30 rep range. Okay, so anywhere, that's quite a wide range, but anywhere from six to 30, you think that's in the muscle building range? Of course, um, and a good prescription people can take away is, say for your, your big compound multi-joint movements, six to 12 to 15 is pretty good. But for, say, more isolation-based movements, you can go from anywhere from eight plus, definitely. Great. 
this is one of the reasons why I like talking with you because you're, you're knowledgeable on fitness. And that's why I keep pushing the specifics, uh, not certainly not to make you uncomfortable, but because I know you have a good answer and can help people with this. So I appreciate that. Now in calisthenics, there's this recurring thing that we talk about. And I'd love to get your take on this, where we mentioned compound movements. Why are compound movements good? Daniel from FAQs. Oh uh, yeah, put me on the spot. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> no, so no. multi-joint uh, movements are great because they they train multiple muscle groups at once, but more importantly, they have a large scope for progression. So we'll give you we'll give you two examples. So the dip is a compound movement that's training your upper body pushing muscles, and mm-hmm. it has a lot of potential for improvement. You can essentially keep going heavier with the loads. And remain challenged for life. As long as if your dip belt is capable of right. handling the weight as you get stronger, you'll be fine. So it's got a long-term progression potential, which is excellent for both hypertrophy and also strength. On the other hand, you've got your isolation movements, which are great for targeting specific muscle groups that you want to bring up. So say your, your biceps, but you're not going to be able to go as heavy on a on a bicep curl movement as you would on a multi-joint movement. That's why if you speak to most fitness experts, and this this tends to be true for universally for both strength and muscle building, we tend to start with our compound movements first because they have the most room to improve over time, train the most muscle mass, and we tend to finish with the isolation movements to just finish up our, our workout. That's good. So compound movements, six to 30. Um, let's give some more specifics because I know some people are hungry for this. How many sets, how long do you recommend people rest between sets? So as we said, six to 15, and it's a, it's a sliding scale, six to 15. Six to 15 sorry, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Um, six to 15 and say three to five sets as a general, general approach. And of course, Hampton, it really depends on um, the intensity of the movement as well. How hard you're training relative to failure depends on how many sets you're doing, um, et cetera, and how it fits into the overall routine. But you can't go wrong with that. Um, if in doubt, just really put that effort into fewer sets to start with at the start of your training cycle. So over fewer sets, weeks, but yeah. Over the and weeks, you, you try and ramp it up. Yeah. The reason I, I said that is because I don't want people to take away from my, my message here and be like, okay, high volume is good. I'm going to do millions of sets. But <laughs> the, the thing is, if you do too many sets in your brain, you know you've got to do all this extra stuff and you just go through the motions. So it's finding that sweet spot of I'm doing enough sets to challenge myself, stimulate growth and improve. It's, it's, right. it's, it's a fine balance. And in terms of rest periods, enough to feel recovered before your next set to be able to do your max performance. And for most people with, with compound movements, this could be three to five minutes Um, isolation movements because it's, it's less fatiguing, smaller muscle groups involved. You probably get away with uh, one to three minutes on isolation. Right. And just a quick note, I've had, I had this theory that for completely um, no external weight um, calisthenics, and we, we talked like all the topics we talked about that might be why some people who are very good and have grown good muscle, but don't continue growing as some bodybuilders do where advanced calisthenics exercises. Uh, some people want to go towards what it's basically an isolation 
movement at the time just just to make it harder it's like well i can do this press movement with like a regular push-up movement but what if i just use my triceps for example so that's one reason why some people may not grow as much just a thought on that one here's Interesting thing, because we're talking about failure, and this is an interesting thing. Someone recently interviewed me just about only about my opinion on training to failure for calisthenics athletes. And I brought up this concept of variability. And I don't know if you've experimented with it, but there's a guy um, who made something called the X3 bar, Dr. John Jaquish. I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name, but it's basically a resistance band. Do you kind of know what I'm talking about? where he has a bar and it's attached to a resistance, uh, resistance band and it's looped around him. And with this, he's going to a greater degree of failure. I want to say he might have called it true failure at some point, but a greater degree of failure of nothing else. So you think of like the idea of someone basically doing a bench press style movement while standing up, because I know some people are listening to this. That's why I'm describing it. Hand, barbell in your hand, resistance band looped around you. And his idea is that you go with this and it's you're, you're pushing yourself to failure. And eventually there's going to be a point where you struggle to lock out, where you are just like that, that movement is just fatigue. And then he says, you just keep going into that B range. The A range is just the top part of the, the range. And then you go here until towards the end where you're approaching a, this high degree of failure, you're barely moving the bar a few inches. And there's almost, no, there's, I mean, if you, anyone who's played with a rubber band knows there's not a lot of tension there, but you're still going yourself, pushing yourself to true failure. And he, he and his clientele seem to have obtained good results with that, at, at least in terms of muscle. Just full disclosure, I don't know the guy. I don't own his product. This is just something that I've heard about. And I thought, huh, that's really interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's a difficult topic because, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we all are, in a way, if we've got an online business, we're all trying to sell something. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. myself and you, we're, we're selling calisthenics as the predominant product we're trying to... I guess, get people interested in. And it sounds like this person is is promoting this as a means of uh, building muscle. If your goal is to build muscle, it's the, the good part about hypertrophy is it's very non-specific, meaning that, that movement with that apparatus, it's taking, say, we'll say the chest to, to failure and it's, it's achieving that. So if your goal is purely to build muscle, then that could be a means of doing so. But I mean, you've always got to think of specificity. If that's mm-hmm. if that's all you want to do and you want to have something that can take you to true failure, that might be an avenue. But if you're someone who wants to improve your strength on, say, push-ups, then even though it's a similar uh, movement pattern that apparatus mm-hmm. is doing, nothing's going to be as good as the movement that you want to get better at. So it really depends on what you're, what you're specifically going for. So I haven't actually seen that particular device, so I can't comment to... Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Sure, yeah. I, I, really, I wanted to get your thoughts on the concept more so than the product. Because once again, I have no affiliation with them. Um, I just thought it was interesting because I've seen some of the research the guy has cited on it. From my perspective, I think it should come back to sustainability. People need mm-hmm. to choose a means of training that they personally enjoy and and go with that. So if, if you can see yourself training three to five times a week with a apparatus with bands that makes you go to failure and you you love it so be it but if you're someone that likes a different type of fitness go for your life it's all about choosing what you enjoy and going for it so i'm not overly dogmatic with different means of training amen amen and i think this is an excellent topic you touched upon just because it's really 
essential to the idea of how calisthenics fits in with fitness. Because some people may think, Daniel, I am putting on muscle with whatever modality I'm using, whether it be kettlebells or resistance bands, and I've gotten more muscular. What do you mean this is not as good as doing push-ups or getting better at push-ups? How does specificity play into our movements? And why does that happen? Why are some people muscular, but not as strong as some people in certain movements? So specificity principle relates basically to whatever you do, you get better at it, whether it's a, a movement pattern, whether it is a intensity range. So if you're someone that's doing, so we spoke about earlier, Hampton, we don't recommend going if the goal is hypertrophy, less than six reps. But right. if you're someone that is trying to maximize neurological strength, you'd yes. be spending a decent amount of time in the one to five rep range. So if that is you, you're going to be better at representing strength, whereas the person that is spending more time doing different means will get better at that. So it's it's probably one of the best fitness principles. You get better at what you do. It's as simple as that. If you want to get better at push-ups, do push-ups. If you want to get better at bench press, do bench press. But what I like about the nature of building muscle is a bigger muscle has the potential to be a stronger muscle. So mm-hmm. why I promote people to build their physique? It's not purely for vanity. I mean, we all mm-hmm. like to look good. It's, it's a nice part of, of training to see a visual representation of your progression. Yeah. But it allows you the options. So in the future, if I wanted to dabble more in the one to five rep range, I would be in a good position to do so because I have the muscle mass that I can teach how to be specific and adapt to the imposed demands that I put on it. Two follow-up questions in a specific vein, because some people are thinking of this. Would you recommend building the muscle first and then training that muscle to do different things and have maximize its potential, so to speak? Or would you recommend the main gaining sort of route where you're building it slower, but you're training it better, I, I guess would be how some people would be thinking of it. What would you recommend? I'm from the school of thought of building the muscle first. And the main reason for that is when we look at the rep range of six plus reps, what does that allow us the opportunity to do? More reps equals more, more practice. practice. We get better at the movement pattern. Whereas if we're training one to five reps, the demand is so high that the person doing this is, especially as a beginner, likely to have more variability with their technique. So sometimes they'll use a full range. Sometimes they'll use less range. The injury susceptibility is also higher at a lower rep range, especially mm-hmm. for someone that's new. True. So I'm from the school of thought that the moderate to higher rep range is absolutely excellent to build the building blocks of your physique and also just teach your body how to master some basic movement patterns. It's key. Right on. And this is why I've said like this is a similar vein, almost different topic, but let's talk about how that relates to diet. Some people, you know, you've heard like bulking and cutting cycles, whereas some people, they, they kind of want to stick around maintenance and just like inch up a little bit in terms of muscle. What would you recommend there? Would you recommend someone put on a lot of weight first and then cut? Or would you say, you know, dial in your calories, dial in your macros and slight increase? What, do you, what would you say? The consensus at large would definitely be around the, I guess, the lean bulking especially when it comes for, for calisthenic stuff, because, you know, we're all about that relative strength for the most part. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's 80% of what we're doing. So you want to be able to move around your body with, with confidence and not feel too sluggish and feel overly challenged by it. And also comes back to what I said in the first sense 
of this podcast. Things take time. You can't go and gain 10 kilos, 20 pounds in a couple of months because it's just going to all be predominantly fat. So you can't rush the process. <laughs> you'd, you'd rather take it, take it slow and just adjust and monitor slowly is the most sustainable and boring answer that I can give you. Right, right. Well, the boring answer is sometimes the one that we go with. And I mean, whenever I give a boring answer, I tell people start like if I had an exciting one, I would give it to you all. I'm sure Daniel would too. Like when someone says, I want an exercise to burn belly fat. I'm like, my gosh, if I had one, I would love to share with you because you know how popular that would make me? It's like, like, do this exercise to burn belly fat. I would tell everyone, it's like, no, but I'm sorry. This is not exactly how it works. You, can, you, you, you have to adjust your diet to reflect that. So This comes back, Hampton, to, as you said before, maybe what people connect, at least initially when they see my content is, oh, look at this guy. He's got a, he's got a good physique, blah, blah, blah. Right. But that's just the initial representation. Then when they stay for the content, that's when I hit them with the truth. So... As you just said, you might be titling a video or the, the topic of a post as something that resonates with people like how to lose belly fat. But right. then you actually, you actually tell them the truth because if you started with the, the honesty straight away, no one would be listening. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's our way as, um, as professionals of, of getting that buy-in from viewers, students, and, and listeners. Right. Well, and to be fair, you are telling them how to lose belly fat. It's not specifically that with exercise. I mean, we can lose fat anywhere. I just, I just the way we target it is different. Yeah. So, if anyone's listening to this and they're curious, um, look up the um, what is it? The spot reduction myth. I, I forget the exact terminology, but the spot reduction as it applies to exercise. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like we can spot reduce fat with exercise. No, it's frustrating as well because the areas that people want to lose the most fat tend to be the last to go as you go on a calorie deficit. So this question is going to be asked today, tomorrow, and indefinitely. Just <laughs> yeah, because, indefinitely. Yeah. So interesting point um, that we talked about. We'll kind of pivot a little bit. You've talked about muscle growth a lot, and you certainly built good muscle within. You have a good physique with it. But you've also – I mean, you can – you can do that without learning exercises that you've done that I would say are usually considered skill-based, skill strength, like the planche, the front lever. In your opinion, have you used these to build muscle or do you learn them because they look cool and you want to learn them? Mainly to learn the strength skill and to display uh, an, a performance aspect for front levers, planches and stuff like that. So that's not to say that isometrics can't build muscle. But this is once again the, the type of topic where if your main objective is to build muscle and you're just doing isometrics and holding just one joint position, that's not optimal for building muscle because as we know, you need to take the muscle through a full range of motion. Uh, that eccentric phase where you're lengthening the muscle under tension mm -hmm. is quite powerful for sparking hypertrophy, et cetera. So the takeaway from what I just said for people would be if you still want to have your cake and eat it too with um, strength skills and calisthenics, train the movement through a full range of motion. For your planches, do handstand down to planche. For your front levers, you can do front lever pulls starting from a hang and then pulling up to an inverted hang because this is training the movement pattern. It's training all of the joint angles that are also involved in the movement to a certain extent and mm -hmm. you're, you're producing more tension in your muscles. So it's not going to be as great for just 
the specific position that you want. But if you want to strengthen the main muscles that are involved in set exercise, then full range of motion strength skills is definitely a, a viable option for people. Absolutely. And they look really cool. That's just because they're like these movements, like the handstand push up, the planche push up, they've become so synonymous with upper echelon calisthenics. And really, it can go beyond that. Like, look up some crazy people, they can do like one arm versions of, of that. And it's just insane. Uh, is that necessary for someone who just wants to use calisthenics to build muscle? Definitely not, Hampton. And mm -hmm. there's, there's definitely ways that people can <clears throat> bias their training for building muscle by body weight and still training those movement patterns. So the example of a handstand push-up, if we look at its constituent parts, you've got the handstand bounce, and then you have the overhead pressing motion, which is the freestanding handstand push-up. But you don't need to train that as an integrated movement. You can train it in a more isolated fashion, say mm -hmm. doing chest-to-wall handstand push-ups, because now you've eliminated the balance aspect, which mm -hmm. is arguably a limiting factor for training towards failure to build muscle. So what right. I'm getting at with this is if you want to get big and strong, you still want to do handstand push-ups, you will build more muscle doing wall-assisted handstand push-ups because the balance component has been eliminated. And this, this is the cool thing about training, Hampton. It's not black and white. You can spend most of your time doing wall handstand push-ups and then doing your balance training separately. And then there's nothing stopping you from spending a month or two integrating those two elements freestanding just to have a bit of fun and keep things interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why I tell people the floor and gravity, it's not going anywhere. Okay. It's going to be there for you. It's going to be there. That's it's right. Especially, especially if you're bulking, <laughs> then it's going to get even more difficult. Right. 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 Well, a quick thing on handstands, because I know a lot of people struggle with them. You have a good looking handstand. A lot of people don't. And you mentioned even early on in this podcast, uh, how you were playing video games and you try to do a handstand. Were you a handstand prodigy? Were you just naturally very straight, <laughs> and, uh, very straight and very balanced? Or were there certain mobility things that you had to fix where you're like, ah, this is why I was struggling with my handstand. This is what helped. I definitely didn't come out of the womb being able to do a handstand. Um, ah, well, like, why don't you do this against, podcast? I, like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I got to keep it real with people, you know? So. Oh, yes, yes. Keep it real, please. Thank you. But no, so, um, definitely took a lot of practice. So yeah, just greasing the groove regularly. As we know, when it comes to skill acquisition, being mm -hmm. a handstand, and we define a skill as something, especially in this aspect of, of calisthenics, as something that's not overly fatiguing, meaning you can do it time and time again, and it's not too strenuous. So with this type of thing that's involving balance, you're going to get more out of doing plenty of practice distributed more frequently as opposed to chunking it. So what I mean by that is if you had an hour to practice, it's better to break that up into multiple sessions, say like three lots of 20 minute practice as opposed to just one chunk of one hour because without getting too much into the science, it just helps you to learn the skill in a more efficient and effective way. But for me, for me with, with the handstand, my mobility actually was really not that great, especially when I started and for the first few years uh, for a few reasons. So as I said to at the start, spending most of the time gaming, you're, you're hunched over, um, thoracic spine goes to crap, your shoulder <laughs> mobility, you're just not yeah. using that overhead pattern. So that was one aspect limiting it. And also just doing tons of calisthenics. So tons of pull-ups, tons of dips, tends to tighten your lats, long head of triceps, 
those areas that okay. are going to restrict overhead range of motion. So this is a cool thing about handstands. You don't need perfect mobility to get started, but you're not going to have a nice aligned handstand. But I was just going to say that over time, this is something that you can address to stack your joints more efficiently. And it's just going to make your handstand easier to hold, more effortless, and you can hold it for longer periods. And by having an open handstand provides more options than a closed handstand for more advanced balance elements. Define, once again, uh, closed and open handstand. Yeah, sure. So if for those that are listening to this, a closed handstand would be where your hands are not over your ears when you look at yourself from the side. So any, anywhere that your shoulder goes forward of your hands would be deemed as a more closed shoulder angle. And this represents itself down the chain as well as the body compensates. So there's going to be, there tends to be more arching of that lower back to help mm -hmm. to stack your joints. But essentially a, a closed handstand is just, if you were to look on the side of the person, their wrist, their elbow, their shoulder, their hips, knees and ankles are not in a perfect line yeah. or, or more, more stacked. So that, mm -hmm. that would be the, the difference between a closed and open handstand trying to get towards that alignment. Cool. Uh, was there a certain stretch you did that really helped you with that? Or is it a, a combination of things? And also, I think it was interesting to many of our viewers that you mentioned that some of the things you did, like dips and push-ups, that, that ultimately helped you also kind of limited your overhead mobility at the time. So it's interesting. You, know, you can be getting better, but there are a few things that aren't necessarily suffering, but it's also working against that a little bit if you don't have an integrated routine. But really, uh, just the, the question about was there any stretch, any game changer? You're like, ah, this was the thing that really helped me. And Hampton, this is why you don't tend to see people that it's quite rare. Well, you, you can see it, but it's just not that common. You don't see people who are big, jacked, strong, and also highly flexible and mobile. And the reason for that is we, we tend to gravitate towards the attributes that we gain tend mm -hmm. to be specific once again to that domain. So in order to obtain the looks, the performance, and also the range, you mm -hmm. need to work on it. So this is something that for those that have been watching my content over the past one and a half years, they know that I gravitated towards the, the stretching and mobility side of, side of fitness because it was an area that was heavily underdeveloped in me personally. And I also wanted to learn by going into the trenches, so to speak, and mm -hmm. putting myself as the, as the guinea pig and improving over time. And the frustrating thing about overhead mobility, particularly the handstand, especially if you're me in this case, everything yeah. everything needs to improve. So, <laughs> so when we're Same talking, here. dude, we're talking, as I alluded to before, stretching lats, stretching yes. shoulders, um, improving thoracic mobility into extension, rotation, lateral flexion, even hip flexors, opening up that if you want to get a nice alignment. It's, it's literally everything. I'm guessing you have a video on this, right? Yeah, I'm going to be posting one on the back bridge. I know that you've you've posted one as oh, well. I love bridges. That, yeah, yeah, that tends yeah, so. to tick all the boxes in terms of wrist, shoulders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, love it. So check out Daniel's video is why why I mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, also, also Hampton, so you can cross reference and I'm oh, sure yes, yes. from both. Of course, of course. Thank you. So we talked about the diet. We talked about the exercise. What's your opinion on sleep? Just so we can get a nice rounded opinion rest absolutely massive the most important topic in fitness but the most underspoken because we can't sell it as easily 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, also a, a thing for me is I can't teach it the way I would do a push-up. I have a high confidence that I can give someone the progressions they need that will almost certainly work for them and everyone. Sleep is just like, dude, you got. It was like the beginning. You got to really try. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, um, so it's harder to teach. Are there any? And this will go into our next topic here. Are there any things that you've learned because it's so important and it's so important to fitness and health, mental health and physical health? Are there any things you've learned to get better sleep that you can share with the audience? For sure. I think the first thing is framing the importance of sleep in your own mind as it's not just something that's just dead time. It helps literally everything. We could do a whole podcast on this. I'm sure people that are listening or watching have come across and know the benefits of sleep. So I won't go too much into it. More so the practical strategies of how to improve it. So first I frame in my own mind, I am not going to be as sharp if I don't get enough sleep you know, mentally, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to learn and process information and improve if I don't get my full sleep. Um, My my temperament around friends, family, coworkers is going to reduce. I'm going to be a worse human being. Um, What else? We we can keep going. Um, Physical performance, I'm not going to be able to strong. I'm not going to have that drive. As you said, Hampton, just overall mental health and well-being, you're just not going to be 100% yourself. So for me, framing that, helps to overcome the temptation for staying up too late and not getting enough sleep. So the strategies that I put in place is just having a good nighttime routine that you stick to as much as possible. So winding down in the last hour before sleep, not doing things that are overly stimulating. So mm-hmm. gravitating more towards reading as opposed to watching, not handling any stressful life events later in the evening with family or any work-related stuff. And then just getting your environment absolutely perfect. So your bedroom should be cold. You should have it blacked mm-hmm. out as much as possible. And yeah, try not to overthink sleep because after hearing about sleep, you, you listen to a podcast, you read an article, you're like, oh man, I've got to take sleep more seriously. And then you can almost get your own head <laughs> like... You can like right. try too hard to sleep. So it's just. Right. It's like you took pre-workout for sleep. Because <laughs> I've done that before, especially as a teen. I'm like, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep. And I got yeah. myself, I'm pretty sure I, still, I got myself into the zone for battle or a sports competition. And it's just the opposite of why I was too hyped. I was too hyped to get good sleep. I'm going to get 10 hours sleep tonight. You get like four. You're like, oh. Exactly, I, yeah. I, I failed again. But it happened so many times. And this time failure isn't good. Um, so interesting thing you brought up, um, where you're reading instead of watching, if I really need to get to sleep soon and I found that like, you know, there's this idea that we can't control ours. Like I I just, I just don't feel tired. And then I found out I have a greater degree, greater ability to control when I go to sleep, even if I'm not tired, if I've been off electronics for a couple hours, I mean, for whatever scientific reason that is, you can talk about blue light or so on, but that really seems to help me phone and TV and computer tv not as bad but especially phone if i'm on the phone for or computer for a couple hours before i sleep or i stay off it i can go right to sleep even if i'm not tired i can just lie down and be like it's time to sleep most definitely hampton i think that yeah the race of the newer research coming out is debating that blue light isn't as um, strong of a predictor as it used to be but yeah i think it's more i think it's just the, the stimulation it's just Man, we're just deep down. We're just apes. Like we, we get, we get that dopamine from watching stuff, and, and those notifications are addicted yeah. to us. So it's just, it's just too tempting. Whereas a book, if you find something that's somewhat interesting but not too stimulating, 
you'll be like, all right, I think I've just, just got to bed yeah. now. I think I've had enough. Actually, interestingly enough, reading about calisthenics uh, used to put me to sleep. It, it, I, it's not, it's, I liked it. I liked it. Someone, a book publisher I know, the CEO sent me a copy of, like, I, I'm friends with like, a couple of their workers. They sent me a copy of their new book to review. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. You know, and I, this stuff is really interesting to me. And then I try to get through it in a couple of days. I was like, I've also, and I mean, I don't mean that as an insult. I haven't said that anywhere before, but I, I don't mean that as an insult. It's just, I'm reading about it and it just, it, it takes the right things in my brain <laughs> to go to sleep. I think it's a bit different for us, Hampton, because this is, this is our job. It's like, if someone sees me out and about or for, you know, an event or something and it's right. unrelated to fitness, I think the last thing we want to spend more time talking about is, is our profession too much? Like <laughs> we could we could go deep on so many topics, but right, right. Ev- everyone that works knows knows that as well. Right, for sure, for sure. And one of the things you mentioned, you touched upon, was messaging. Um, or you talked about your phone and the dopamine rush, and we hear the ding. You know, when we get something, that's something that also I've noticed. I don't know how it is for everyone else. It might just take a certain box in my brain, but messaging is man, it's a, it's a big deal for me to keep me up. When I need to go back to sleep, sometimes if I wake up at like 5 a.m., I'm like, you know, I know I shouldn't check my phone, but sometimes I've checked my phone. And I can go back to sleep if it's just like Facebook or whatever. But if I see a message, that wakes me up for whatever reason. Communication wakes me up. I mean, not always in a good way. Sometimes it's a good way if, I'm, if I need to get up. But when I feel the need to answer a message, that just like, that wake I can't go back to sleep. Then, then if I if I enter that message, I can't go, I can't be like oh, I'll go back to sleep. Uh, for me, it keeps me up. I don't know if it'll keep me up, like because I spend time talking like our Discord and some people, some friends. I answer messages before I go to bed, and again, I don't do that if I really, really have to sleep. But I do that before bed, and I don't know if it keeps me up, but it definitely wakes wakes me up if I wake up before I need to wake up and I can't go back to sleep. The messaging part. So, oh, for sure. It's, a, it's human nature, man. It's a stressor because then you're like, you're a caring person. So you want to respond and yeah, get back to them. So it, it's natural that you go like your mind's going to be racing. But man, I, I, I personally believe that uh, push notifications are the absolute devil. It's like, because <laughs> in my perspective, I want to be responding on, on my own terms. So being more proactive than reactive because if I'm doing something, I want to be doing something. And if I right. if I'm communicating with you, I'm giving you 100. percent I'm not distracted. I'm not thinking about anything else. That's just my perspective. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe in five years I'll get left behind by technology. But no, no. you all are, you got to pick your battles, you know. No, it's good. And hey, I in some ways um, I like having something go on in the background so I can kind of monitor what's going on. Uh, like for example, if I'm editing a video, I'll have the Discord notifications on. It'll beep. It doesn't bother me. I can see it going on. But if there's something or someone, I'm staying on this to help our audience. If there's something or someone that really stresses you out <laughs> um, in a good or bad way, when you get that message, turn off push notifications for that. Yeah, you've got to be selective. Turn it off, yeah. Because I love, hear, like, for example, my wife, and God bless her, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me when I see messages from her, thankfully. <laughs> you know, I, I love it. You know, so I, like that can be gone anytime. However... There were some people, like a business partner or something, and he was just giving me some trouble. This was new to me. I had to disable notifications from him because I still wanted to respond to him, but I didn't want to come up while I was watching TV or something and have him say, "Well, blah, 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 blah. you know." And, of course, um, yeah, yeah. So yes, so, like just compartmentalize that. And one of the things you can do is turning off notifications. You don't have to have notifications. 
for everything. Just like, especially course, if someone's stressing out, put it in the email center. Like some people only check their email when they're at work, nowhere yes. else. So absolutely. I, I think an important part of that for people that, that struggle with that is you've got to set the precedent. I mean, if people come to expect that you're going to respond at all times of the day, then they're just going to keep messaging you. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. my, my approach is for, for the people that I cherish in my life. I, I would drop whatever I'm doing anytime to, to respond to them so they can always call me. But I think always being hyper-connected is not good. It doesn't give you that quality appreciation for communication. Right, right. And I mean, I don't know if I've changed. I, I, don't, I don't know how one would compare that other than if I had an in-depth interview before social media and an in-depth interview afterwards. But when I was starting Hybrid Calisthenics, and as we're winding down this podcast, which is why we're kind of going to different topics, I... I was making different things. I made an Instagram. I made a Twitter for it. And when I made Twitter, nothing specifically against Twitter, but when I made it, I was like, oh no, I feel too connected now. It's like, I, I felt like there were too many things popping up at me. So there certainly was that line. And I don't know if I just like, it was a barrier I had and I broke through it and now I'm different. Or I just learned to scale everything back instead. Because sometimes I do that. Sometimes I scale back. And the reason we, we talked about this, just to remind everyone, was about sleep and also mental health, which is big part of training. Of course. And it's just, you've got to find what's important to you. If you find that it is stressing you out, then make a yeah. change. If it's not stressing you out to have notifications on, so be yeah. it. because I'm sure everyone's different and I'm sure there's different, yeah. I guess, thresholds of how we all respond to stimuli and stress. So you got to do you, man. Just do you at all times. Absolutely. And as we're winding this down, are there any Danielisms, fitness FAQisms that you do that are unique to you or special to you? Like, for example, I cycle my coffee. I don't drink it every day. I drink it every other day. Anything that you think would help the audience that you would like to share? Uh, do you take certain supplements, for example? I'd say further to our last conversation, Hampton, it's got to be that long black rope, that coffee first thing in the morning, <laughs> fasted, hits your system. <laughs> unadulterated from any other digestion in the body just gets you super geeked up that's it's probably not a unique thing to most people but i'd say, <laughs> yeah, I'd say it definitely gets me going i appreciate just those those simple things in life you know and you drink it black right oh black man black 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 that's what i'm drinking now drinking this is a black coffee uh, this entire time yeah this time it is a yeah. coffee with hampton this time it is a coffee with hampton <laughs> so i'm I'm keeping it pretty vanilla with just some water. Oh, we be... changed. We, we reversed roles because I had water last time. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You had water in the coffee cup. That's pretty, that's pretty Hampton. That's pretty unique. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So um, that, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed having you on here. Is there anything you want to share with our audience before we sign off here? No, man, it was a pleasure. I hope that we can um, get both of our audiences to connect and just share share the love in terms of the information and the message that we're spreading out but uh, it's been fun man it's always good connecting with people who are i guess on the same overall mission of just Absolutely. helping helping empower other people to become better at calisthenics and just how that translates into other areas of their life and just improves improves everything so no major closing thoughts man i think there's plenty there for people to to take away. Yeah, it was great. Enjoyed it. Same here. Um, where can people find you? And for the people who are listening, uh, who are not on your platform, where can people find you? Sure. Just search uh, fitness FAQs on all social media platforms. So we're on IG, now we're on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. But if you want to check out our um, Carl Snakes programs, where we put this approach into practice, 
fitnessfaqs.com. Definitely check it out. Thank you, everyone. And thanks, Daniel. No worries. Awesome. See you guys. See ya.